Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. All right, I hope that it was a good time actually sharing your experiences of evangelism. I hope many of you had great experiences. I hope uh, very few of you, if, if none of you, had some bad experiences. But I know, of course, there's some bad experiences. Uh, let me share with you one of my bad experiences, okay? Uh, I still have PTSD to this day because of this evangelism horror story. But let me share this with you. Uh, my first year as a college pastor... I was doing campus ministry as well, uh, and I was in my mid-20s, and uh, that was a long time ago, Uh, but I remember during campus ministry, uh, two evangelists came to the University of Toledo where I was doing ministry, and uh, these two evangelists had signs, if you've ever seen evangelists with signs, and they had signs like, sinners repent, turn or burn, right, and they had these signs, and Uh, They came and they were yelling at the college students that would pass by. They'd yell about, you know, drunkenness and drugs and uh, pornography and sexual, you know, liaisons. And they just go on and on yelling at collegians and uh, they drew a big crowd. I remember there was about 80 people that were uh, around these evangelists and they were hurling obscenities As uh, the evangelists were yelling at the college students, the collegians were hurling obscenities at uh, the evangelists. And here I'm uh, in my mid-20s. I had never seen anything like this before. And so I was over to the side, and I was just observing this. And, you know, I was being very disturbed by what I was seeing. I remember in the front row, uh, one of the college students, he was a fraternity guy. I'd been talking to him about spiritual things for a while. We had built up a relationship, a really nice relationship. And I remember he looked over and he saw me and our eyes met. And I was like, please don't, right? Our eyes met and he said, you know what? And he was talking to the evangelist. He said, Pastor Dave is over here right now. And he's a Christian. And he's like, you guys, why, do, why doesn't he talk like you guys? Why doesn't he act like you guys? You know? And he was saying, Pastor Dave doesn't treat us this way. And I'm like, ah, oh, please don't get me involved in this, right? I don't want to get involved. And I remember the two evangelists looked over at me and then looked over at the crowd and they said, well, if this guy is a pastor and he's a Christian, then he's a compromiser and you shouldn't listen to him because he's not telling you the truth. And I remember it was a PTSD to this day, right? All the hard work of evangelism on campus and those two people pulled it all down, I felt like, right? All that work building up rapport and all the the work, and I lost credibility because these two people came and evangelized on campus. Can I share with you 
that this was not a biblical way of evangelism, right? This morning, we want to look at Jesus' way of evangelism. And here the Bible teaches us how Jesus reaches Levi with the gospel. And in this, we want to look at three principles that our Lord models for us. And he models for us something very different from the story I just shared. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're looking at Luke chapter 5. That's where we are in our study of Luke, uh, verses 27 through 32. And here we see uh, the first point, biblical evangelism meets people where they are. If you're taking notes, write that down. Biblical evangelism meets people where they are. I want you to see Jesus' passion for evangelism. Let's look in verse 27. It says, after this, let's stop right there, okay? And you might think, well, why are we stopping, you know? Well, I want us to look at those two words. Are they important? Yes, they are. Because if you remember last week, Pastor Wilson gave a great sermon on the healing of the paralyzed man, the paralytic. And you remember that as we were looking at that passage, Jesus tells the paralytic in verse 20, your sins are forgiven. And we talked about that. It seems so odd that Jesus addresses the sin and not the sickness. After all, this guy came to be healed of a physical illness or a sickness, right? His, his paralyzed body. Why would Jesus be talking about sin? Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, if you remember the study last week, uh, are thinking in their heads that Jesus is committing blasphemy because only God can forgive sin. And then Jesus responds, remember this, in verse 24, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. The Son of Man being another title for Messiah. Messiah has the authority to forgive sins. Now, can I share with you, this is the most important statement in the story of the paralytic and even in the story that we're going to be looking at today. Because why does Jesus fixate on this man's sin and not the sickness? Well, it's because this was Messiah's main mission. Jesus' mission was to forgive people's sins. His name, Jesus, Yeshua, means Savior. And if you remember Matthew chapter 121, when the angel appears to Joseph and says, Mary is going to have a child, what does he, uh, he say in verse 21? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Yeshua, or Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, there is a reason why Luke writes these two stories together side by side. It's because Jesus wants you to see, uh, or Luke wants you to see, excuse me, Jesus' passion for his mission, okay? He came to heal. He came to do all these wonderful things, but his primary mission was to save people. Right after Jesus says his sins are forgiven, Right after Jesus says he has authority to forgive sins, let's look at 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth, and Jesus said to him, follow me. You see, Jesus says that he came to forgive sins, and then after this, he immediately goes to the worst sinner that he could find in the Jewish culture, and he forgives his sins. You see, Luke is highlighting the mission of Jesus his single-minded passion to seek and to save the lost. And in this story, Jesus chooses the very worst of sinners to practice this on, Levi the tax collector. Now, why were tax collectors seen as the worst of sinners? Well, let me share with you. Maybe I'll enlighten you about this. In Jesus' day, tax collectors 
were the most hated people. See, when Rome conquered an area, their main concern was to take a large percentage of wealth and resources from that area. And so Rome would franchise tax collectors from the area to make sure they received their taxes and their tribute on time. And so these tax collectors would make sure that the right percentage went to Rome. You didn't want to mess with Rome, so they made sure that percentage went to Rome. But in order to profit, they always increased their taxes. They padded the numbers to extort a huge profit. So tax collectors were like the mafia. They got their money by whatever means necessary. They used threats. They used fraud. They used violence. They used intimidation. These were the calling cards of the tax collector to make a profit. And so the reason why they were so hated was because they would prey upon their own people for the oppressor to become fabulously rich. They were called sinners because they ruined the lives of everyday Jewish people through their greed and dishonesty and betrayal and oppression. They were true scumbags. They were the scum of the earth. As a matter of fact, rabbis taught that it is good and even righteous to lie and deceive a tax collector because that's what they deserved. And I want you to see, here, Jesus the rabbi is going to meet this vile tax collector to invite him into his community. Do you see the dissonance that's happening? Do you see how crazy this is? Right? Jesus says, follow me. Follow me is an invitation of a rabbi to become his disciple. And he was asking this vile tax collector, this hated person, to become his disciple. This must have shocked everyone that has saw this or had read this in Luke's gospel. What was Jesus doing? He was breaking barriers, right? And by the way, there were two classes of tax collector. I think this is important to know. There's two classes. One was called the gabai, right? All your money, gabai, right? <laughs> Remember that. They were the big time, oh, thanks, it, that, that landed well, okay. They were big time operators, okay, the gabai, right? They handled the big taxes, the poll tax and the income tax. They employed uh, myriads of tax collectors, right? They had this huge network. They ran large operations, so they weren't seen that much. As a matter of fact, we'll look later in our study of Luke at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a gabai, okay? That was the kind of person he was. But here we see that not only were the Gabais also tax collectors, there's another group called the Mocus, and they were the small-time tax collectors. They handled the day-to-day -day operations of collecting tax. They saw people regularly face-to-face -face in their tax booth. Now here the Mocus would cheat you and insult you and injure you and threaten you and scam you and intimidate you right to your face. This was a face-to-face -face thing on a daily basis when you went to the tax booth. So there's no wonder that the Jews hated the Mocus more because they were a daily reminder of the oppression that they faced. Now, Levi was a Mocus. Oh, a Mocus. And here we know this because he sat at a tax booth like Mocus's would. And here we see the extent of Jesus' salvation in verse 27. The Bible says that Jesus saw him. That word saw means to gaze intently upon him. Jesus was intent on saving this man. Levi was the worst sinner. He was the scum of the earth. He was the vile oppressor. He was probably the most hated man in Capernaum. And yet, Jesus broke every barrier to meet him where he was. And you know, beloved, this is biblical evangelism. Are you willing to meet people where they are? 
Are you willing to love people enough to break barriers? I remember when this idea became so strong in my heart and in my life was when I was in college. And I felt that from the Lord in my Bible study. And so I decided, and in our college, um, if you left the gates of the campus, it was a pretty bad neighborhood. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to come out of my college and I'm going to share the gospel with the first people I meet because Jesus wants me to break barriers. I was a little kid, right? So I went out to this bad neighborhood and the first people I saw, I, see, I saw these uh, three gang members and they look like gang members. Uh, they had the, you know, the, the, uh, the, um, you know, the, the tattoos, they had the, uh, what do you call those? The bandanas, right? They had all that and they were, uh, they were hanging out and I saw them and they were big guys and I was just getting kind of afraid, right? And uh, they were playing gangster basketball, okay? Now, the reason I knew they were playing gangster basketball is uh, these were gangsters, of course. And when they went up for shots, their, all their friends would hammer them. And they'd fall to the floor, and then they would all laugh and curse at each other. And I just thought to myself, Lord, this can't be the group that I'm supposed to talk to, right? They're gangsters, and they're playing gangster basketball. And this is, they're, they're hurting the people that they like. Imagine what they'll do to me, a person that they don't know, Right? But I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, hey, I want you to speak to them. I'm thinking I want to go talk to some old people, you know, some other people, you know, people with, you know, uh, middle-aged people. But he's like, Lord, the Lord's telling me, hey, I need you to talk to them. And so I remember, I don't even know what I said. I gave the gospel, but I don't know what I said. But after the conversation with these guys, all three of them knelt down to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I'll never forget that. That's never happened before, right? But it is a reminder to me of the Holy Spirit of what happens when we're willing to meet people where they are. You know, it's so important for us to understand that. The second point is biblical evangelism sees where people could be. Okay? Biblical evangelism sees where people could be. Can, can we put that up, that next point? Yeah? No? Doesn't work? Okay. Biblical evangelism sees people where they could be. Okay? Verse 28. Oh, thank you. All right. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. So Levi leaves his life as a tax collector. He abandons his sinful lifestyle. He forsakes his ill-gotten gain and wealth. And he becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, as you're reading this, and Luke wants the reader to, to feel this, they would think, who did ever thought Levi would be with Jesus? And that is the beauty of the gospel. It can totally transform even the most sinful life. I want you to notice something really interesting, okay? In Mark and Luke's gospel, Levi is the tax collector in the story. But in Matthew's gospel, it's the same story, but the name is not Levi, it's Matthew. Matthew is the tax collector. What does that mean? It means that Matthew and Levi are the same person, okay? Now, you might think, well, why does he... Uh, uh, why does he have two names? Well, most Bible teachers and scholars believe that Jesus gave Levi the name Matthew after he became a disciple. Okay? Just as Cephas was given the name Peter by Jesus, that uh, name meaning that uh, uh, you are the rock, the rock in which I built, build my church. Peter's name actually means rock. And so in that case, uh, we understand that here, the rabbi Jesus has a name for the, uh, his disciple, and it has to mean something. So what does Matthew's name mean? Matthew means gift of God, right? 
And that's so ironic when you think about him as a tax collector. As a tax collector, he was anything but a gift of God. He was a curse of God. He was a scourge of God, but he was never a gift of God as a tax collector. You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus gives uh, the name uh, Matthew to Levi because he knows who he will be after his conversion, right? Here he sees a man who will give us the gift of God in the gospel. And Matthew was written to the Jewish people to present Jesus as Messiah. It was written to the same Jewish people that he once betrayed and oppressed. He is the gift of God. What he gave is the gift of God. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 29. And Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. Here we see Levi becoming an evangelist, a person of peace. He's introducing people that he knows to Jesus. It's really funny when you think about it, but the only people that Levi knows are, uh, and associates with are fellow tax collectors, are fellow scumbags. And so he decides, hey, let's get all the scumbags together, and let's invite uh, Jesus to meet with all these guys. They're the scum of the earth, right? Once Levi was a greedy, degenerate mocus, now he's Matthew, a gift of God and an evangelist. It's amazing what the gospel can do in a person's life. You know, biblical evangelism sees future transformation. There must be spiritual optimism <clears throat> to what God can do with a person that and how the transformation and change is possible uh, after the gospel is given. Sometimes we see people and we think, well, they would never become a Christian, right? And we write them off. And we never share the gospel with them because we think, what good is it? That person is not uh, going to be a Christian. And we forget that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone that believes. Can I get an Amen. You know, there's a movie, uh, it's, it, it's one of my favorite movies that just came out. It's called Jesus Revolution, and it's a true story. It's the movie about the rise of Calvary Chapel and how Jesus was working this revolution, not only in that church, but during the, the, the 60s, during that turbulent time. And it's all about how God, the gospel transformed lives, even the life of Greg Laurie, who in Jesus Revolution, and I won't ruin it for you, you, you should watch it, how he was all messed up in sin before Jesus found him. But you know, it's so true uh, because I remember uh, when I first came out to California, I would go to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa on Monday nights, and I would go and listen to uh, the different speakers speak, and it was just tremendous encouragement for me. I would walk into the Calvary Chapel bookstore, and the people that worked in the bookstore, they were always, always sharing about their past life. I used to be a, a biker. I used to deal drugs, right? I used to be involved in all kinds of different uh, illicit, sinful activities. And now I'm a Christian and I work at Calvary Chapel Bookstore. And it was the most encouraging thing that you could ever hear. Because they were a testament to the transformation that can occur. And I've seen it time and time and time again. I wasn't going to share this, but let me share this. There was a, there was a guy, he's one of the many, uh, that when I was at UCI, his name was Victor. And he used to always, always uh, argue with me about Christianity. All the time. And he was a very intelligent guy, so he'd always use these uh, profound arguments against me, right? And then later... Uh, towards mid-semester, uh, our college guys led him to Christ, and he became the greatest Christian. And I remember uh, saying to Victor once, I said, man, Victor, before you came to Jesus, you annoyed me so much, you know? 
I don't know if I really even liked you, man, because I hated talking to you. But now, man, you're awesome. Look at the change. And you know, that's exactly what happens. I liked him, okay? Let's, let's, yeah, we're recording this. I liked the guy, but, but anyway, the changes that can occur in the life of an individual. The third point I want to give you is biblical evangelism treats people as they should. Biblical evangelism treats people as they should. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? So why did these religious leaders ask the disciples this? And this is really important. All Jewish people at this time, all good upstanding Jews were taught in the synagogue by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they taught that there were two kinds of people in this world, right? There was, number one, the righteous chosen people of God. These were the guys that did the right thing. These were the girls that followed the right rules. These were the people that followed the right regulations. And they followed them to a T, and they were rewarded by God for their righteousness. And then there was another group of people called the sinners. And they were not righteous. They were not a part of the chosen people of God, even though they were Jewish, some of them, right? They didn't do the right things. They didn't follow the rules and regulations. And they would be judged by the fire of God one day. As a matter of fact, rabbis used to teach that Gentiles and sinners were just kindling for the judgment of God. Imagine thinking this way, right? And so here, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law taught that righteous Jews should only hang out with righteous Jews. They should form a chosen people bubble. And they should have an intimate relationship only with the people in that bubble. And so they taught, don't associate with sinners. Don't eat meals with them. That's an intimate thing that you're doing because you'll be defiled by them. Because you'll be contaminated by their filth. It will hurt your status as a righteous person. So what were they saying to the disciples? Why aren't you staying in the bubble? That's what they were saying. Let's look at the response of Jesus. Verse 31. And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus here is restating his messianic mission by using the metaphor of a doctor. That Jesus came to save people from the disease of sin. That he is the cure, the divine cure that was sent from heaven. Now as we read this, I don't want you to misunderstand something. Jesus is not saying that he has come only for tax collectors, prostitutes, and thugs because they're sick. But you, you're not sick. You're okay. You're, you're in the chosen people bubble. I'm not here for you because you are the righteous people. He's not saying that. How do I know this? Because if you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see to the contrary. Jesus' mindset was that everyone was a sinner. Every person had the disease of sin on their life because of the fall. That's why he came. That's why God the Father sent God the Son. He came to save everyone from the disease of sin. So there are two kinds of people, Jesus is teaching, but not the way the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were teaching. The two kinds of people were not the righteous and the sinner, right? Because every person is a sinner in Jesus' eyes. That's why he came to seek and to save those that were lost, right? Everyone's a sinner. There are two kinds of people, but this is how they're divided. Those who know that they're sick and those who think that they're well. Those who know that they're sick and need a doctor and those who think they're well and need no repentance. That's what Jesus was getting across, let me explain this to you. Uh, in Luke chapter 18, uh, I want you to see this passage. This parable 
goes with this particular story so well. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. I want you to notice the Pharisee's posture. He's proud. He's self-righteous. There's no need of a doctor. There's no need of a savior. There's no need to repent because he's doing everything right. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Notice the posture of the tax collector. He needs a doctor. He needs a savior. He repents. He doesn't come with righteousness because he has no righteousness. He knows this. And so he says, just have mercy on me. God, just save me. Have mercy. And you know what Jesus says in verse 14? I tell you, this tax collector went home justified before God. Can I get an amen? Jesus is saying he's the doctor that has come for those who know their need. And the biggest enemy to grace is pride. The greatest enemy to salvation is self-righteousness. See, when we know that we are all sinners who need Jesus, there's a humility that permeates how we think and what we do. There's a compassion that we have towards other human beings. There's a desire to show patience and kindness toward those people who are lost in sin. There's a deep longing for other sinners to find the Savior. And there's a desire, just like Jesus had, to go and meet them where they are. There's no self-righteousness. There's no arrogance. Because biblical evangelism treats people as they should be treated, with love. You know, those two evangelists that came to the University of Toledo with their signs, yelling at collegians to repent, they came thinking that they were helping. But you know what? They came with a spirit of pride and self-righteousness. And the sad thing is, no one responded to them because they didn't sense love from them at all. One of my favorite people, he's an 80s icon. Can we put him up right now? Uh, those of you that are older know who I'm talking about, right? It's the great Richard Simmons, right? Other people are like, who is that guy? You know, he looks goofy. He's like one of the greatest people, like in my book. He's one of, he's one of my heroes, Richard Simmons. He changed the lives of so many countless people who were, uh, who were unhealthy, who were obese. Uh, he started the jazzercise movement, which is not around today, but, but it was a great exercise craze in the 80s, right? I, I have to admit, I was, a, you know, I did some of that jazzercise, you know, and everything. But anyway, listen. He gave an interview, and it's something that I thought was a beautiful interview. Uh, he said the problem with many people is that they will go thinking that they are helping the morbidly obese person, and they will tell this person, you are fat. You look like a pig. How can you, how can you live with yourself? And they fat shame them. And they say things like, you know, if you don't change your ways, you're going to die when you're young. You're going to get diabetes. You're going to get a heart attack. You better exercise if you know what's good for you. And they come out thinking that they're helping them by doing that. Richard Simmons says, you know what I do? I will go to that morbidly obese person and I'll share my past with them that I was once morbidly obese. 
I'll listen to their stories. I'll hold their hand, and I'll cry with them. I'll teach them jazzercise, right? I'll educate them on low-calorie meals. I will walk every step with them. I'll try to even get them on one of my cruises so that they can spend a whole week uh, going through the healthy routines. And then, you know what he said in his interview? Who do you think will make an impact and help change a morbidly obese person? And that's so beautiful. I don't know if Richard Simmons is a Christian, but let me share with you, even if he is a non-Christian, that is a perfect example of biblical evangelism, where we meet people where they are, where we see where people could be with the gospel, where we treat people as they should with love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and oh, how it speaks to us. Father, I pray that whether it's rebuke, whether it's correction, whether it's encouragement, or whether it's instruction, that, Lord, you would meet us with this truth to become the kind of biblical evangelist that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.